This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Weather Balloon Harasses Local Family. Everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that you should not look directly in the eyes. My name is Gefwin, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week, we are also joined by a special guest, because it's a movie episode, and we do that sometimes. It's not just the two of us talking. This is Hoots, who exists on the internet. Hi! So, uh, what kind of internet existence are you? Uh, I exist mostly on YouTube, uh, but you can also find me... Uh, on your favorite podcasting app, uh, I, I do a podcast called Respect the Dead, where, where we don't. Uh, and then my, my YouTube <laughs> channel is uh, Hoots on the Web. Fantastic. It is awesome. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I've uh, you know, taken a few of your vids and yeah, I've uh, found them rather, rather insightful. So good work. Thank you very much. I like to do lots of media criticism. So I feel like uh, I'm right at home here on <laughs> Watchers of Tomorrow. Excellent. Yeah, this is great. I feel like I should point out that the that she has an amazing like three part breakdown of the Mummy 1999, just because I'm chronically online. And yes, my sexuality is the cast of the Mummy 1999. So hot, so hot. Just like it should mm-hmm. be a crime. It should be illegal to be that hot. Yes. <laughs> like we're gonna make a movie together, and it's just hotness. Um, like. In the desert? Well, that too, but, you know, hotness. <laughs> hotness in the desert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so when we do a guest star movie episode, we let the guest have their pick of movies, and this week we are doing our most contemporary film, because it only came out last year, which is, which is just amazing for us. If we'd recorded yeah. this like three weeks ago, I would have been able to say this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but since it's going on, you know, it's going out in the future, it would be like, confusing for our audience oh very confusing it's already confusing <laughs> for anyone who listens to this later so. <laughs> such is the way of things so anyway we're doing uh jordan peele's where was the thing i loved this description neo-western science fiction horror movie nope <laughs> i love that description like, nope. <laughs> that is a lovely description i just think the more and more we dr- break genre conventions and realize how useless sort of genre definitions are in film uh Mm -hmm. we get more and more complicated just weird amalgamation descriptions of movies yeah indeed especially as we're like diving into these like very um referential like newer movies that are always trying to like pay homage to older genres you just it becomes one long hyphenate Yes, and I love it. <laughs> we love these elements. Let's put them together, and uh, there we go. A new movie. Nice. So before we jump in, Hoots, uh, since you picked this, why did you decide that this was what you wanted to come on, talk about, do some criticism, critiquing, etc. of? Well, I, I was having some trouble thinking of what kind of a sci-fi movie I wanted to do, because um, I, I told you I, I, I don't really have a favorite, um, because... You know, sci-fi is such a broad genre um, that that you can find all of these, like, favorites within all these sci-fi hyphenates. Um, Yes. (laughs) But I think I was sitting around um, listening to 
some other like YouTube video or something and somebody just like offhand mentioned Jordan Peele's Nope. And I thought, actually, I want to do that because I think um, it's very dense, like there's a lot going on there. Um, so I think it would be something um, interesting to to kind of like talk about and unpack on a podcast with other sci-fi fans and other other cinema fans. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of meat there to really sink your teeth into. I would have to agree. <laughs> I had not seen it myself until uh, preparing for the uh, this episode, but uh, yeah, it, just like, wow, this is like, there's so much going on here. And I'm like, I don't know where to start and talking about it quite yet. <laughs> so. I am so excited that you watched this movie because I told you to, Isix. <laughs> Did you like yes. it? <laughs> yes. Uh, it, as I said you know, before we recorded that uh, this is one I've been has been on my radar for a bit. Uh, and having excuse to, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I should really sit down and actually watch this. Uh, I much, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, I was like, it, you know, had some expectations and I was kind of blown away in terms of, you know, beating and then exceeding them. So hooray. Yeah. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that, that Jordan Peele's movies to the, to everyone's surprise, of course, with, uh, with Get Out being one of the best horror movies ever made, all of a sudden he breaks mm -hmm. into the film scene with one of the best movies of a generation. Mm -hmm. um, like for for as massively dense and complicated as his movies are, I don't see the level of breakdown that I see on some other stuff for some reason. Like I'm not saying it's not out there, but yeah. like when a popular movie comes out, if you're on YouTube or Twitter or any of these things, you just see like a month of breakdowns from yeah. every film and whatever, whatever channel. And I feel like you don't get that with his movies for some reason, even though they are denser than a lot of the things that people try to do that with for popular shows. I've seen so many breakdowns of Transformers, which yeah. is so surface level, you could scratch it with yeah. a pen. And <laughs> this this gets uh, like, you know, maybe a quarter of that. That's, it's wild because yeah, there's, there's so much, like, I really think that, um, the joy with his movies is you can you can watch Nope as just like a summer blockbuster alien film like this is this is your Jaws this is your um your Alien this uh you can just watch it as that but there's also so much like there's so much that it's referencing and and so many um different kind of like uh lenses that you can watch it <laughs> lenses to Make a little <laughs> film joke. This movie, this movie is so much about filmmaking itself. Yes. There's so many like different like uh, like critical angles you can watch the movie through. And I think like I, I rewatched it for the second time last night because I saw it in theaters. Um, but obviously I wanted to like prepare for this again because it's it's been a couple mm -hmm. of months since it was out. Um, it came out I think last summer, um, and uh, I enjoyed it even more the second time around because I was just watching it from um, like a different critical lens as opposed to like a person going to a summer blockbuster movie lens. And I, I just, it got even richer like the second time round. Nice. Yeah. There's even things that I'm like thinking back, you know, to earlier in the movie, uh, you know, after my first watching there, it's like, wait a moment, that was, okay, I get it now why that was there because yeah. it's all kind of connected in the themes and things like that. Neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my partner and I watched this together for the second time to prepare for this. We'd seen it like right after it came out. And 
during the opening scene, we're both sitting there. It's like, did did he just foreshadow the entire movie in the first 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so rewatchable. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I guess a recommendation is uh, it's the movie so good, you'll watch it twice. Yes. Um, I would. <laughs> I already said this in our previous episode, but this more than a lot of other movies, I would really recommend if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil the entire thing. Um, it's not as dependent on like twists as some of his other movies are, so it's not going to completely ruin it. But I do think if you haven't seen it, you probably should before I give my kind of half-assed recap because you'll enjoy it a lot more that way. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, both listen to our episode, but not listen to it depending on your situation. <laughs> <laughs> right. These already run a little long, so I'm going to jump into our cast and crew list and then we can start actually discussing some things as we already said this movie was directed and written by jordan peele he of course came up from the sketch comedy tv shows he was originally on mad tv then got more popular mm-hmm. for his work on key and peele starting in 2012 on comedy central he transitioned to primarily making movies with his first production get out being a massive surprise success for someone's first movie ever it was, it was incredible and just mm-hmm. completely out of nowhere. <laughs> um, he's since made follow-ups with um, us in 2019. He produced Spike Lee's Black Klansman. He wrote and produced Candyman, several TV series, and he's still doing acting and voicing and things like I do not know how this man has time to live. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's a time traveler. He's doing the new Twilight Zone too, right? Yes, which I I think I only got to see the first episode of because all this streaming stuff is just too much. But yes. yeah, I, I don't even know which service it's on. It's on one of those, probably. You know when when everyone was so shocked when they first um, announced that he was going to be making a horror film, um, and everyone was like so shocked by that. Um, in the back of my mind, I was like. No, I think it's going to be good because um, with Keegan-Michael Key, uh, he had done a movie before that called Keanu um, mm-hmm. that I believe both of them co-wrote. And uh, Keanu, it, it's a comedy, um, but it's like a pastiche of the like Taken style adventure like thrillers, uh, except like instead of a daughter being taken, it's like this little kitten that they adopted. Um, yes, <laughs> it's like taken by I think it's like uh, some like drug kingpins or something. I, I saw it on a an airplane once. Um, and that thing was so tense. Like it was so suspenseful for a stupid comedy about a kitten that I was like, I don't know. I think this man can probably write some horror. Like I was like stressed out, like sweating on this plane watching this dumb comedy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess in terms of, uh, you know, good comedy writers, you can f- sort of get a sense of when tension is is building yeah. in, and then turn it into a joke. Or you can let it build and suddenly you're in a horror film. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess that's why horror horror comedies are such a, like, natural um, hyphenate in genres. Mm-hmm. Like, they're such a, a natural pair of genres to mix is because it's all about building and releasing tension in both genres. Yeah, I was going to say, and I think that um, coming from his comedy background and being such an obviously brilliant comedian, like 
there's so much more intentional setup and payoff in his style mm -hmm. of horror because oh, you have yeah. to do that. Like for horror movies, if you don't set something something up quite well, you still get the gory payoff or the jump scare or whatever. It's always better and you can tell people who are better at it if they set things up correctly. But if you don't, it's not as much of a failure as if in comedy you don't set something up correctly, then the punchline doesn't even make sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also I think possibly because coming from his style of comedy and the stuff he was doing before, these horror movies especially have so much more to say than a lot of other ones, which I feel yes. like is something that you yes. could tie to the comedy background because good comedians have to be bringing a message to things. And I think he just carried that over. It's exactly the same thing he was always doing. He just took half of the jokes out because they're still yeah. fairly funny in places too. Yeah, yes. they are. <laughs> you know, there's a couple of points where it's like, I just can't help but laugh during this year because it's just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's realistic how people react, and it's still hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there obviously are lots of people in a movie, but because I'm not going to sit here all day reading names, I'm, I'm going to go through the core group, and if I don't include someone that you wanted me to include, I'm sorry, they just weren't important enough for the Ooh. synopsis. So, <laughs> <laughs> so of course, uh, our main star for the movie is Daniel Kalua who plays Otis, also known as OJ. He is a British actor with a massive stage and film career. He was in uh, several British TV series. He was in the Doctor Who Planted the Dead special. Then he kind of broke into some American viewing in uh, Black Mirror in the 15 Million Merits, everyone's favorite non-lesbian episode. <laughs> He's uh, probably best known to Americans for being in Get Out and Black Panther which he did immediately before this movie. Brilliant actor. Amazing American accent. Yes, I can't. Yes. <laughs> like, now when I hear him do interviews, like, I keep forgetting that's what your real voice sounds like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good, uh, you know, uh, actors who can basically switch ac uh, you know, uh, uh, accents on a, uh, a whim at this point. I'm just, like, always am amazed when it happens here. Yeah. Um, also... Also, he was in uh, Watership Down. Oh, not the, really? Not, not the original. Uh, oh. <laughs> apparently, there's a uh, a mini series out recently oh, yeah, in 2018. Yes. Okay. <laughs> if you want to be really depressed for a little while, <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> Either version of that. <laughs> Next, we've got Kiki Palmer, who plays Emerald, more commonly known as M, throughout the movie, who is OJ's younger sister. Um, she made her acting debut in Barbershop 2, so she's been doing stuff for a little bit. Um, had her breakthrough role in, a, god dang it, Akira and the Bee. My my edit, my writing software has auto-corrected everyone's name, and it's I hate it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she was also in a lot of Nickelodeon TV and was in the Winx Club, which I loved from Nickelodeon. I haven't watched that in forever, but, you know, I loved it. <laughs> and uh, she transitioned to more adult roles in 2013 with uh, the movie Crazy Sexy Cool and has also done several horror things leading up to this. Very cool. Uh, also in a few random things like ER, Law and & Order, and, you know, and Ike's Age, apparently, uh, Collision Course. <laughs> mm hmm I can't list everybody's everything, you know. I believe yes. she's also a Broadway star. I think she's been in a lot of musicals as well. 
just Googling to double check. Oh, nice. Yes, she was uh, Broadway's first black Cinderella. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. I, I know everyone who's doing Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff, just <laughs> intrinsically. <laughs> I'm ontologically classical musical theater. <laughs> I, I know a few people that uh, might be interested in chatting with you then. <laughs> uh, a random assortment of friends of mine are just really into musical theater. I, it's like I, I collect people of certain types, and that's apparently one of them. <laughs> the best people. The be- exactly. <laughs> Weirdly, huge overlap with horror people. I was, <laughs> I've worked Halloween Horror Nights a couple of times, um, and hmm. just like randomly – like uh, this last year, I actually worked it, and I was a chainsaw performer, and found out that halfway through the run, every single person who runs a chainsaw is a big old Broadway fan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. People love horror and show tunes. <laughs> I don't know why that those wound up being just like the two queer movie genres. I think that might be what it is. <laughs> Perhaps interesting. Hmm. Ah, next we've got Stephen Yoon, who's been around amazing actor mm-hmm. he's playing jupe or also known as rick park but they never use his real name in the entire movie i don't know why it's in the synopsis i was reading uh, <laughs> he's playing a former child star now the owner of jupiter's claim a sort of western theme park style thing uh, he was born in south korea and became well known for his role in the walking dead um, he also had a starring role in minari uh which made him the first Asian American to be nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars, which I find deeply depressing. I keep reading these things. It's like, how? Mm -hmm. How is this still? That's so great. That was 2020, right? Yeah. (laughs) Good God. He's also more recently been in Okja. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That weird weird thing about animal rights on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, sorry to bother you, which my God, go watch that right now if you haven't seen it. I yes. love Sorry to Bother You. <laughs> and The Humans, which also has just enough at the end that we could definitely do that as a sci-fi episode if we wanted to. <laughs> For Sorry to Bother You. It's got the thing at the end. We could do it. Yes. If, if, if ta- it's just as much sci-fi as Tank Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, sorry to Bother You is on my list of things to maybe cover at some point. So. <laughs> Oh, I love Sorry to... Again, another film with just so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Also, Steven was in uh, Invincible recently, so... Which one was that? There's too many uh, movies. The, uh, it's a superhero series uh, based off the uh, comic book, I believe. Uh, as uh, Oh, right. The, the cartoon. I loved that. Yes. I loved that as cartoon. The, uh, yes. <laughs> as Invincible himself. So. Wait, was he? Really? Yeah. I didn't bother looking that up. That's a pretty good voice job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Invincible is another one people should watch. It's getting a second season some sometime, they've promised us. Hooray! Oh, Brandon Piera is playing Angel Torres, the tech guy from Fry's, which is also <laughs> closing down. We were talking about random tech, oh. tech things before we mm-hmm. recorded. Fry's is also shutting down. No one wants to buy computers at, at stores anymore. R.I.P. to oh. a real one. <laughs> So Piero was less less known before this than a lot of the rest of the cast. Um, he was mainly known for appearing as Alfonso Sosa in The OA, which is a Netflix show that I had never heard of until I was researching this. So I'm sorry I can't describe it. Even after reading several descriptions, I can't tell you what it was about. <laughs> I think it involves an O and an A. 
<laughs> I've heard it's good. I've never seen again too many streaming services at the moment. Yes, there's too many things to watch. My God. <laughs> but I've heard it's very good. Indeed. <laughs> then uh, Michael Wincott plays Holtz, who's the world's best cinematographer, at least according to himself. He's a Canadian-born actor whose voice is just a villain voice and gets him all the villain roles. He was Guy of Gisborne and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was the main villain in The Crow, which I need to get around to seeing. He was a mercenary in Alien Resurrection, yeah, that that sort of thing. You've, you've seen him around. You'll see him and go like, oh, yeah, that, I think I've seen that guy. Like, yeah, just looking at these uh, list of movies, like, yeah, that's uh, you know, a movie with the kind of a creepy bad guy going on here, and that's that's him. <laughs> And finally, for our purposes, Keith David is playing Otis Hollywood Sr., who's the father. He gets like three scenes and not a ton of lines, but Keith David needs all the appreciation. I love him. He uh, was in so many things. The Thing, They Live, Pitch Black, Cloud Atlas, which we covered before. Um, Mm -hmm. The sixth season of Community, which proves that he should have been cast instead of Chevy Chase. (laughs) It's also in a uh, episode of Leverage Redemption, which I saw kind of recently. <laughs> this isn't a spoiler because I'm about to get to it, but I think the this is one of the things that really sets the tone for the movie is you open the movie by showing you Keith David and then he is killed immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. <laughs> well, I, I guess uh, he's on this movie. Well, he come kind of comes back a couple times, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, experiences, but yeah, you know, it's still sort of like, yeah, this is going to be one of those movies yeah, where he uh, comes back in flashbacks. <laughs> but like, this is probably like one of the most like by face recognizable actors in the opening part of this movie. And then it's like, and dead. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> dead by nickel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to try to be as concise as possible, but this is a freaking dense movie. So that I think that dream is going to die on me. Let's see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. (laughs) So we open on a chimp incident. I should warn people, we are going to be discussing some, like, animal violence and things in this. It's unavoidable, so, like, I I apologize. I understand if if you're not in a place for that. We're probably not going to get super graphic, but it's in here. So Yes, uh, by and towards animals. Yes. So. So we open on a chimp attack on the set of a 90s sitcom, which we're going to get more into later. The important thing to know now is that there is one unscathed survivor who is a young Asian-American child actor. Jumping to modern day, we have OJ doing early morning ranch chores, feeding horses, exercising things, fixing a horse walking machine, ranch stuff. His father is in the middle of horse training and talking up a new gig that if they are able to pull off, they'll have movie sequels and all kinds of other things that's just going to be years of good productive work for their ranch and really put them on the map. Suddenly, all the electronics in the area stop, and there's a rain of small objects with like little impact noises all over the place. It's actually kind of spooky. Then you hear a fleshy impact, and Otis slumps over on the horse he was riding. OJ drives him to the hospital, but there's nothing that they can do because they discover that a nickel has fallen into his brain. That's a, uh, a gruesome way to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I live in New York, so one of the only things I can ever think when I see this is like they keep telling you that's the whole myth of don't drop a penny off the Empire State Building. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can't happen, but still, it's pretty visceral. It's you know. Yeah. 
well, there, there might be a reason why some of these things are traveling at very high speeds too, but we'll maybe get to that later. That is true. I didn't think of that one. Yeah, I was just going with normal momentum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so later on, OJ still needs to keep up the horse business. So he's brought one of the horses named Lucky to the set of a commercial that they're filming. He's very awkward. He's not at home in Hollywood situations. Uh, he keeps stalling and stammering and waiting for saying the rest of his crew is going to be there. His sister, M finally arrives just in time to give a safety meeting, which is mostly just the history of film. She claims that they are the direct descendants of the jockey who was on A Horse in Motion, one of the earliest and most famous uh, film-to-movie experiments. You've seen it. It's the little clip of a dude riding a horse in a circle. Yeah, that uh, little clip pops up a few times during the film. Yeah. Which, okay, this this is part of the thing. I was looking this up because I was curious whether or not the, the backstory that they give for this is true. Um, we don't know because we know the name of the horse the guy was riding, but not the name of the guy who was riding the horse. Of course. Because, you know, 1800s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I'm remembering correctly, this very famous um, bit of footage was was literally compiled like animation style from like a series of photographs taken yes. in quick succession, uh, which I mean, I that is what film is. But like, it's not film as we would typically think of it today. It's, it's yeah. literally like a bunch of photographs that they set that they set together animation style yeah it was a, it was a series of cameras all put next to each other kind of like how they did the special effects in the matrix actually and, oh dope <laughs> and the horse rode by and triggered each camera in sequence which is why the horse remains in the center of the frame the entire time and then because this predated the invention of movie cameras or film technology by several years um, it was assembled into one of those uh, zoetrope things. Mm-hmm. So those little spinny animation dudes. Which are cool. Which they also, cool. until I was reading this, I didn't realize it has the word zoo in the beginning. So it's it's literally uh. for watching animals move. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy behind the uh, microfilm here, I guess, uh, uh, Edward Mybridge, uh, was once, uh, you know, a on trial for the murder of his wife. And uh, one of the, his defenses was that uh, he was obviously insane because he made things like this. Oh. Yeah, which <laughs> I also think is interesting because they eventually ruled it justifiable homicide because he murdered a guy for cheating with his wife. Um, but... Yeah, the wife's I, lover there. I yeah. feel like you shouldn't be able to get justifiable homicide after you have tried to use an insanity defense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably one or the other. You know? But you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm on board with the insanity defense though, because anybody who's ever tried to make a movie is uh, a little bit insane. <laughs> <laughs> so after M gives her historical context for their business, she gives the very brief: don't make sudden noises around the horse, no cell phones, and try to be safe, everyone. Okay, bye. I'm gonna network. Uh, OJ finds himself alone and unable to stop the director from moving in too fast and scaring Lucky with a mirrored ball that causes him to kick, scaring the lead actress and getting them both fired. The lead actress is in a really kind of weird costume. I'm just kind of confused by what kind of film this might actually be. But Mm -hmm. maybe they're lucky that they're not involved now. (laughs) Hey, Lucky the horse. (laughs) Well, also, um, also Holtz is here doing the 
cinematography for what is described as a commercial. He is later brought in as like, oh my God, massive big main name cinematographer. It's like, what kind of commercial is this? <laughs> Maybe it's like a Super Bowl commercial or something. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's true. It could be. <laughs> so OJ and M drive out to a very lonely part of California with a car dealership that has way too many of those waving tube people. Um, an Old West-style amusement park with a massive inflatable cowboy called Jupiter's Claim, where OJ stops and walks Lucky into the park. Uh, M accidentally photobombs some kids who are taking a picture with a camera that's in the bottom of a wishing well so that it takes photos up at you staring down into it. It's a very weird setup. I wanted to know if these things exist. Yes. <laughs> I feel like they must somewhere. I, I should say that um, Jordan Peele has said that he based uh, Jupiter's claim off of a mix of uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain um, and Knott's Berry Farm. Both are Southern California uh, theme parks. Both are very janky. Um, you definitely feel the the Knott's Berry Farm in it because Knott's Berry Farm has got like a whole section that's like a little mock-up of an old Western town. Um, and it's it's very... It could use a fresh coat of paint, you know? That makes sense. (laughs) It was reminding me of, like, Tombstone, Arizona, where they still put on little Uh, tourist, like, gunfight shows and things. Yeah. And uh, I I was thinking of Adventureland, but that's in Iowa. So (laughs) Iowa gets to have things, too. It's fine. (laughs) This is a sign of good filmmaking, that it makes us all think of something that we're very familiar with. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I also think because like there's there's a lot of crossover in desert culture between where I grew up in Arizona and this part of California. Like, I feel like we get a lot of the yeah. same kinds of weird outdoor attractions. <laughs> <laughs> so OJ hands Lucky off to an employee and goes upstairs to talk to Jupe, who is dressed like a movie set Western cowboy. Very good. Tassels, sparkles, all the things. <laughs> He's been buying the Haywoods horses to keep the ranch afloat as while they have hard times after their father died. OJ tries to talk to him about maybe laying groundwork to get some of the horses back. He does seem a teeny bit evasive and is very happy to get interrupted by M, who recognizes him from a poster of an old show that he has up in his office. Uh, He confirms that he was, in fact, a child actor, and after a little bit of back and forth about his other roles, he lets us know that he was involved in the Gordy's home incident, which is the chimp thing we saw earlier. Uh, He shows a hidden room full of paraphernalia. There's a chimp costume on a chimp model. There are posters showing young Jupe and the chimp fist bumping. And there is a single shoe just creepily standing upright in its own case. Yeah, that shoe, it's, it's, it's just there. It's sitting up. Why? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he gives us the little bit of backstory about this sitcom, which aired in 96 to immediate success until the shooting of season two, when one of the chimps that played Gordy instituted six minutes of complete havoc. OJ adds that this is one of the reasons that you can't use chimps when you're filming anymore, which is a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> but there is an actual uh, bit of restrictions on the use of, use of chimps in actual filming nowadays, but it was from a uh, incident of, in, uh, I think, 2009. Yeah, this is like somewhat loosely based on like a real incident with a chimp named Travis, I think. I think so, but there are there are multiple things this could be based on. 
which is kind of Chip- very depressing. <laughs> Chimps are wild animals, and mm-hmm. maybe there's mm-hmm. like a, a little bit of a theme in this movie about how like <laughs> we can't control wild animals. Yeah, maybe there yep. could be some themes. <laughs> there could be some 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 mild themes. I think this movie's trying to tell us something. (laughs) No one's hitting you over the head with a chimpanzee-shaped bat. (laughs) So Em asks for more details. Jupe tells her that an SNL skit based on the incident with Chris Kerrigan in a chimp outfit really kind of explains it better than he could. Just, I'm sorry, this is, I'm going to forget later. (laughs) This is such an encapsulation of the entire theme of the movie that the first thing Mm -hmm. this this traumatized child actor goes to is like, well, did you see the thing where SNL made fun of all these people being brutally killed by a wild animal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, this is uh, how we kind of distill uh, these sorts of tragedies. And, you know. You can uh, you go ahead and just, you know, take that as uh, exactly what happened and uh, don't make me relive this, please. So RJ and M return to their home at the Haywood Ranch. They get drunk, reminisce about their childhood. M uh, talks about the first horse she was supposed to train named Jean Jacket. But when a movie deal materialized, their dad decided that it was more important to train the horse right than to let his daughter in on the business and kind of pushed her out, which is why she hasn't really been around very much. And uh, that movie deal was The Scorpion King. Yeah, the which they used off. camels for anyway. Look, we brought it around. It's this my is, mummy tie-in. here. <laughs> there we go. It's my mummy tie-in. I actually spent the whole movie, when I watched it in theaters, mad because his jacket said Scorpion King 2001. Um, and I thought the Scorpion King was much later because the the character of the Scorpion King gets introduced in The Mummy Returns, which is mm-hmm. not called the, but mm-hmm. the Scorpion King is a separate movie that's the start of the spinoff with The Rock. Um, yes, but apparently it did come. I think it came out in like two thousand one or two thousand two, uh, like right on the heels of The Mummy Returns, which came out in two thousand one. Uh, I didn't realize that the spinoff came out like that soon after. The uh, sequel, it, it's the Mummy Cinematic Universe uh, is, uh, it goes deep. Yeah, it is yes. wild. <laughs> they just wanted to give The Rock something to do when acting. He's so charming. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like, get this man on screen. It was a, it was a 2002 action sword and sorcery action adventure. <laughs> Speaking of hyphenated <laughs> things, geez. <laughs> I also did not know Michael Clark Duncan was in that movie. I have not watched any of the spinoff. I did watch all of the animated series, though. Uh, Don't do it. It's it's not worth your time. (laughs) I remember that being one of the things that I did sort of just randomly watch whenever it was on as a child. (laughs) uh, They really cut some corners at the animation. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't watch the spinoff because the main thing I was there for was Brendan Fraser, which means I did yeah. watch The Mummy 3, which mm. I should not have done. But, no. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, that, was, that was a sad day for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then the cartoon oh, wow. had enough Brendan Fraser-esque energy going on for young me. Yeah. So uh, that works. <laughs> so they both are hanging out. They look outside and see one of the horses named Ghost standing out there for some reason. You know, hanging out, you know, as horses do. In the, like, arena instead of, like, in the field where it should be. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) 
So OJ approaches as M puts on some loud music in the house, which distracts OJ enough for Ghost to jump the fence and start running away off into the fields. Uh, OJ follows on an ATV to the very edge of the property, where you can see the lights of some cell towers in the distance and the Jupiter's Claim Stadium that start to sort of slowly go out as uh, the whatever's making the lights go out sort of gets closer. And in the dark, you can hear a ghost give out a very weird, panicked horse scream. Very eerie. Hmm. It's a very scary scene. It's like, all right, I'm getting the creeps here. Uh, We've gone from, you know, slow and steady film to, hmm, (laughs) I'm unsettled. Something's wrong here. The uh, breeze starts to ripple. The headlights on the ATV fade. The lights in the house go dark. And a shadow passes over the dark valley while a horse scream just flies by. Yeah, there's there's the screaming horse, but I don't see any horse. And OJ uh, sees something moving through the clouds. Uh, he returns to the house and they check a security camera they have set up to watch the horses, but the power going out ruined the feed. So they're definitely rattled, but OJ doesn't know what he saw. It was big and was fast and probably wasn't a plane. So no, not a yeah. plane. Are you saying I saw what nope. you think I saw? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was kind of saucer-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, the two go to Fry's to get some cameras because there's people out there who will pay really good money for footage of UFOs. And if they get real shots, they would have it made. Rich, famous, Oprah, the whole deal. Yes, the Oprah shot. OJ's skeptical, but M insists they just need to get the shot. Like, the good shot. M has really got the grind set. Like, that's the one thing that we know mm-hmm. about Emerald is she has the grind set. Yes. Mm. I love yeah. it. I could I was trying to work it in, but like she's just got such manic energy the entire time. She will be talking to OJ, she'll turn around and start flirting with some woman and then she'll just be right back to what she was doing a second ago. One of the yes, I can't remember keep who going, keep going, keep going. I can't remember who, but it was one of the like neurodivergent accounts that I follow is like this movie is just like ADHD sister and autistic brother. Like <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, yeah, yeah, I can see. It. <laughs> it's like Real good neurodivergent representation. <laughs> so they bring their massive haul of cameras up to the counter where we meet Angel Torres, who offers to help with the install because these cameras can be kind of fiddly. So he drives out to the ranch, installs a giant network of interconnected cameras with battery backups, remote control, like online monitoring, all the modern things. Uh, oh, real, real high-tech security system, effectively. He also gets a bit suspicious when they want the cameras pointed in the air and not at the ground, where a security camera would traditionally be pointed. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, are we talking black helicopters or, you know, them? Uh, M also heads off, leaving the boys alone to get something. Angel finishes up the install, talking about aliens, UFOs, government cover-ups, how there's proof of aliens, but no one cares because they changed the name from UFO to UAV or some other shit. (laughs) UAPs. UAPs. Yeah, yeah, UAP. Even I can't remember it. (laughs) Unidentified aerial phenomenon? I love that he's like, the name UAP is an op. <laughs> it is kind of cool that it's like tied into like because like there was like a whole bunch of like declassified documents like a, a couple of years ago and like no nobody uh-huh. really cared. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's because the name is UAP like, though. I think it's just because like we've got a lot we've got a lot of more pressing issues down on the ground. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, hey, a pandemic and, uh, you know, the rising you, tide everything's of falling apart. And, like, <laughs> I remember yeah. everyone right before was like, oh, my God, they're declassifying it. We'll finally see the proof of aliens. And then no one said anything after. So I guess it wasn't as exciting <laughs> as they thought. <laughs> well, I did see some of those videos, but, the, you know, it's just more of the... Uh, well, here's a weird dot that we're kind of following sort of mm-hmm. stuff there. Uh, maybe I missed the more interesting ones, though. So M comes back with a large aluminum horse that is still trailing plastic flags that were attached <laughs> to it. Um, they set it up in mm-hmm. the field. Angel calls it bait. M insists it's something to do with training. We're not baiting anything. Stop knowing what's going on, dude. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> this is totally for training. This horse here. <laughs> Then uh, Jupe shows up um, because uh, he has a horse like that outside the uh, the amusement ranch. You know, where'd you get that? Anyway. Uh, oh, where'd you get yours? <laughs> no one wants to talk about it. It's fine. He's just here to let them know that he has a new live show coming up and he'd be happy for them to come attend because they're neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, he's kind of a you know, small operation and, uh, you know, going around and trying to, you know, get up uh, interest in, you know, you know, a live show yeah. that, you know, I'm assuming they haven't done before. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, you know, makes sense. I do, I do love it because, like, I, I don't engage, like, I'm, I'm not an actor. I don't do a lot of, like, movie-related things aside, aside from criticism. So when I'm reading through these these scripts to write the synopsis and they just have notes, like, everyone knows what's going on. They just don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love the dialogue in this scene. I love that that jupe starts to say where'd you get yours and m is a is a little bit quicker on the draw with him and and then he's too embarrassed to call her on it so mm-hmm. it's it's just like it tells you yeah. so much about their characters it's so funny mm-hmm. like it's such a good it's such a good waving. little scene lit yeah <laughs> and you know maybe jupe has his own secrets mm-hmm. you know that he doesn't want them asking about yeah this so. is a really this is a comparatively like little small core cast that you follow around for most of it that they're all just the best actors. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. You can't think like of every favorite. single person is giving their best performance of their lifetimes in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's glorious. So they deal with all that. Angel leaves very disappointed because he wanted to be included. <laughs> I can like monitor the cameras for you, right? Maybe. <laughs> Uh, OJ and him get set up for the night. OJ is laying out some tools, including like some homemade horse training things he made, like a version of the mirrored ball that freaked Lucky out. Um, and then in the mirror ball, he sees lights turn on in the indoor horse run that they have. He goes to take a look, mm-hmm. and some other parts of the horse run start turning themselves on, which is understandably a bit freaked out. Um, then he sees a small creature with, with big round head and eyes uh, coming towards him. He's, he's able to sort of fumble out a camera as they come closer and closer. Uh, and then another one jumps out really, really close to him and screams. And he punches it really hard in the face. Which is very reasonable. Yeah, it's a pretty they natural do. reaction <laughs> to, to this situation. <laughs> yeah, you know, throughout this little scene here, there's these things are just being so creepy. Mm-hmm. And then just suddenly, ah. And he's like, nope. <laughs> also a very good moment of like building tension and then like hitting a punchline mm-hmm. instead of a yeah. scare like because this is yes. <laughs> this scared the hell out of me in the theaters and then i laughed mm-hmm. at myself because it's it's a fake out uh, yep. uh but <laughs> my partner was pointing out through through every one of his movies that we've seen 
that he just does the thing where like you build up to exactly the perfect amount of tension and then something happens there's a minor jump scare or there's a joke or there's a something to relieve stuff before you build again and he's just he's, he has mm-hmm. it worked out to the second in these things it's amazing yeah. but also this is such an amazing subversion of the horror tropes that you normally see in these things because you have the creepy the creepy thing where all these little things are following you around and you start to run and get chased down or whatever but realistically if something jumps out into your face like that you're gonna punch it yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so the aliens uh go ouch and it's actually jupe's kids they're all wearing alien masks and they run off laughing they're here to mess with them because they stole their horse so it's a fake out and i think like i guess i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because i this doesn't really get revealed until a little bit later but i think the most like brilliant genius thing about this or or one of them is the fact that the ufo is the monster you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um because the the cute little characters that come out (laughs) like the little aliens that come out are never as scary as just a giant looming shadow um and yes when we find out in like i think a scene or two that it this is it that there isn't like it's not a ship it's a creature I think that's so much scarier. And I think it was such like a good, like elegant decision uh, for a horror Mm -hmm. sci-fi movie. Mm. But it's also such a great thing to give you this scene. That's like, this is what you want. This is, you know, this is signs. Yeah. This is when the goofy aliens (laughs) show up and ruin everything. But it's not. It's just the (laughs) kids. But then also he's managed to turn this into another piece of foreshadowing for what happens with Jupe and his family later. Yeah. Yeah. Just just so many layers in this freaking thing. <laughs> so uh, in Fry's After Hours, Angel is watching the Haywood's camera feed on his laptop, which is not supposed to be doing. It's very illegal. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but just uh, oddly, fairly doable. Yeah. <laughs> just, just stalking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, M is similarly watching their cameras on the monitors in the house while OJ tries to wrangle a horse that Jupe's kids let, let out as part of the prank. Uh, the camera's suddenly obstructed by a big, scary alien face that's a praying mantis. <laughs> Whoops. Also a really good fake out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. It's like, big eyes. Oh, uh, oh. It's yeah, it's two in a row. It's the, it's the janky-looking little suit aliens. Then it's the sudden alien on a camera. It's, oh, it's a, oh, it's a mantis. <laughs> so uh, M's phone rings, and it's Angel to tell her that there's a, a bug on the camera. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> Why are you watching? Uh, OJ continues to try to calm the horse, but it gets spooked and more lights start going out. Spooks the horse, it knocks OJ to the ground just in time to see the decoy horse that they set up spiral into the sky and get sucked into a large hole in the bottom of a cloud. So scary. Well, that doesn't happen every day. I also, I didn't realize until like the second rewatch I was doing here. um, Every time the ufo monster shows up all the lights go out and he revealed the kid aliens coming in by a light suddenly turning on so Mm. you should be able to know (laughs) that something is not right before it even starts yeah Mm -hmm. so the cloud starts moving around it's not also not normal uh it heads towards oj who just makes it to a shed as it passes over with the little whirlwind thing uh M decides that she's going to climb up onto the roof to try to get the mantis off of the camera that's still on. Um, 
Just then her phone goes dead because energy sucking whatever is happening. OJ watches the cloud from the shed door as the thing backlit from the moon moves out of the cloud and gives us a very clear look at a large abnormally shaped saucer creature that makes a vortex beneath it and pulls the horse up into itself. Bye, horsey. M clears Uh, the camera just as soon as the saucer flies back off into the hills. Ain't that the way. Foiled again. Ain't that Mm -hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Later, they check the camera, and it's just praying mantis face the whole way through. <laughs> ah, the bug's obviously in cahoots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the praying mantis is a fed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little robot, actually. It's like no. <laughs> Sounds freaked out, but OJ is pretty sure that whatever it is isn't going to be back today, and M's not going to leave him there alone. So they're staying. Uh, now we get Holtz again, who he showed up for a minute before. You probably don't remember until you rewatch the movie. He's at his home doing some editing of black and white footage of a tiger fighting a boa constrictor. <laughs> As you <Yeah>. do. <laughs> I feel like this movie's trying to say some things about <laughs> nature and, and, and yes. trying to capture nature. <laughs> the violence, the brutality. <laughs> So he gets a call from M, who wants them to work together on a project that she can't tell him about and can't pay him for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why? Yeah. <laughs> but she needs a cinematographer to get the impossible shot that no one could ever got before because something's going on and they need a picture of it. Um, he very understandably hangs up on her. <laughs> uh, Angel drives up, though, in his fries van. Uh, M is a bit mad about the spying, but stops when he shows them why he came, which is there is a cloud over a hill that hasn't moved in days. Yep. <laughs> Again, very creepy, very spooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do not mm-hmm. like when they play back this footage and you dr- you're just watching all of the uh, f- the fast forward footage of the normal clouds moving and this one just staying in place. Real spooky vibes. <laughs> <It's uncanny. laughs> really, really upsetting yes. imagery. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So there's something weird going on there. Like there's an alien spaceship in there, like right there, sitting right there in that cloud. Except didn't move much like a ship, did it? Not really. <laughs> now, uh, Jupe is getting set up for this live show they've been talking about. And uh, before it starts, we get to see the rest of the Gordy's home thing, which we've been getting little flashbacks here and there. But uh, now we get the whole payoff. It is Gordy's birthday party, and the family's giving him presents. A young blonde girl brings out an enormous box that turns out to be filled with balloons. Uh, Everyone's just like, oh, look, the spectacle is so great, until one of the balloons hits a studio light and pops, which scares Gordy, and we immediately cut to him beating the girl's body behind a couch with, with whimpering and horrible fleshy noises until she stops moving. And there might be some face eating there too, you know. Yeah, there's some ripping sounds. Mm-hmm. The uh, actor who plays the father tries to make a run for it and gets chased down. Uh, Jupe's hiding under a table, frozen and unable to look away from one of the girl's shoes that's fallen off and is inexplicably sitting straight up and down on its heel. Uh, Gordy sees him there and slowly approaches, reaching out for his trained fist bump. And just before Jupe can complete the fist bump gordy gets shot in the head uh what i really love that i don't know if i noticed um 
the first time, but upon, definitely upon rewatch. Um, so they're, uh, they they uh, repeat the, like, do, don't look a wild animal in the eye kind of theme several times. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. First with the horse, um, and then with Gordy in this instance, and then with our jean jacket. Like, Jupe... Jupe doesn't doesn't um, avert his eyes. There's like a a bit of cloth that's like preventing him from looking Gordy straight in the eye, um, and that that combined with like just the the training to like fist bump him might have been what actually saved him. Because like a lot of his character is like based on this. He almost like has this sense of like he survived um, this horrible tragedy. Uh, maybe because he was chosen or something, um, but it's uh, just like kind of like a freak act by by a, a freak accident. He happened to be like hiding under the table. Um, he didn't make direct eye contact with a with a wild animal who was on a rampage, and that mm. put the animal at ease. Indeed. So you know, a little little, little mistaken about what's actually going yeah. on, and so he's like, yeah. Obviously, I've got a special rapport with the entity. Yeah, he misread. Hopefully, uh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw a few things that were mentioning both the shoe that he was fascinated by and couldn't get his eyes off of, and the, you know, yeah. the chimp's eye line being blocked by the, by the see-through tablecloth. So like, his he eyes were always down. Accidentally did the right thing. Yeah. For the situation. And I don't know if I noticed that the first. I know the first time I was thinking about this shoe a lot because that tends to be, like, focusing on uh, an object tends to be something that. Um, people do when they're in a traumatic situation, mm-hmm. like people who experience mm-hmm. um, uh, traumatic events will often say like that they, uh, th- all that they can remember is this one thing that they were looking at. So like, I know the first time that I saw it, I was thinking about the shoe as like this um, symbol of, of trauma, but watching it the second time, I was like, oh, he's a, um, not a victim of circumstance. He's like a, um, a, a survivor of circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really kind of gets into, not just with the animal thing, which we're going to talk a lot more about, because it's kind of the theme, but um, also just any horrifying situation, it's really just sort of a matter of luck, no matter how much Mm -hmm. you want to put on anything. It's Mm -hmm. just like, he happens to be in the right place for him to avoid this situation where everyone else wasn't. And by him believing this narrative that he was chosen and he was special and not that he was just lucky he kind of sealed his own fate mm. indeed but we'll get to we're we'll get, get to, to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself again <laughs> so speaking of so back on the ranch um oj finds the flyer that jupe left for his show which is today at five and he decides that he's gonna go get lucky back because he wants his damned horse so jupe is set up in an outdoor stadium with a smattering of tourists the stands aren't packed by any means and a large box covered in a sheet. Um, Jupe gives a very well-practiced presentation, thanks his family and his old co-star from the Gordy's Home Incident, who's now in an electric wheelchair and wearing a veil to cover her face scars. Jupe tells the story of one time he was out here training a horse, and then an alien spaceship suddenly showed up, and the horse ran off into the canyons like it was, like it was going home in a beautiful something moment i don't know if he thinks horses are aliens or what (laughs) (laughs) maybe horses are kind of freaky when you think about it (laughs) they do seem not of this earth (laughs) and uh this ship has been back like pretty 
on a schedule, interestingly. So he knows it's going to return, and this time he's brought all these people here to see his amazing spaceship. So Jupe unveils what's in the box, and it's Lucky, presumably as bait. Um, I hope the people here don't mind that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Watching a horse die in real time. So the ship does come, and it's sooner than Jupe expected. It's trailing flags hanging out of its uh, belly from the fake horse there. Uh, Jupe tries to get Lucky to run, but the horse is not moving. The horse knows what's up. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky's like, yeah, not going to go out no, there. No, thank uh, you. <laughs> Lucky is a yeah, smart boy. <laughs> I've been trained. <laughs> the wind kicks up, the saucer descends, and people just get sucked up into the hole into a very narrow interior space where they're all just shoved together and screaming. One of the most horrific scenes. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely yes. terrifying. Yeah. Followed by the most horrific scene oh. in a minute. Yes. Which is like... Yes. Uh, OJ arrives in the aftermath of all of this. So there's, there's rubbish everywhere. There's no one on site. Uh, he heads over to the stadium where Lucky's standing, but the cloud thing is still hanging around. Uh, OJ tries to get Lucky to come out, but... He peeks out of the stadium entrance a little bit too far, and the thing swoops down to try to suck him up. But OJ gets caught by the updraft and slams into the ceiling instead, getting knocked out. He wakes up with rain dripping down on him from the roof. Um, Lucky walks into view, and OJ gets him into the trailer and starts to drive back to the ranch. He calls M to try to warn her that all this is happening. Back at the ranch, Angel's put tarps over the cameras in preparation for the rain and decides to head back to town. M goes inside to grab her phone and talk to OJ. Uh, he's right. It's not a ship. He's seen it. It's an animal. It thinks it's its territory. It's it's hunting. So, you know, be, be mindful of yeah. all that. And, uh, you know, uh, try not to get caught outside, please. I, it, I feel a little bit silly that I didn't realize it until, like, a moment ago. But the reason it was coming uh, to, to Jupiter's claim the same time every day is just because, like, that is dinner time. Yeah, he just he, he trained it to be fed. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, yeah. I'm hungry now. <laughs> and then it was like, Dad, I've got something stuck in my throat and I'm mad. <laughs> yeah, it's like a stray cat. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to, uh, you know, chomp until, uh, you know, I get this thing worked out my system. Mm -hmm. It'll be fine, right? Yeah. So Angel gets a little way down the road in his van before it shuts off. And the house lights go out. And M's phone goes dead. <laughs> 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 uh, Angel runs inside, grabs a knife, which I don't know what he's planning to do with, and hides under the table. Something <laughs> um, outside, a wall of rain just moves toward the house and stops over it, where it's not raining anymore. Like there's some sort of giant thing hanging over the house that has rain falling off of it. Huh. I've never seen someone use oh. rain this way in a horror movie. It's really, really good. Very unsettling. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Very unsettling. Uh, OJ pulls up outside as close as he can get before his truck shuts down, and things start to drop. Keys, coins, then motorized wheelchair hits the roof, then blood starts just pouring down with the rain, covering the house and the car and everything. Uh, you forgot one detail, uh, the uh, the sound of the screaming people uh, yeah. suddenly going silent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I it's do horrible. think, I haven't been mentioning the sound design, but like, the sound of this thing flying by, it's easy to, like, not really get it in your head the first few times mm -hmm. uh, because it's just like a si sounds kind of like a sci-fi sound effect. But it's just mm -hmm. a mass of people screaming 
like dopplering by as the thing flies around. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. It's so scary. I love it so much. So, raining blood. <laughs> the thing moves over the car and it's illuminated by flashes of lightning. And the fake metal horse falls through the windshield. Because just he's he's just got to do a callback, I guess. <laughs> uh, hours later, OJ wakes up in the car in the early morning fog. Um, he st- can start the car again, so things are maybe okay. Angel's van also comes back to life. Angel and him run outside, but then OJ sees the lights turn off again. <laughs> uh, OJ <laughs> runs over to Angel's van, which is playing really loud music, and opens the door. And he's able to draw the thing away from his sister... He remembers all of his horse training about not looking animals in the eye and kind of forces himself to look at the ground while the thing passes over. The van shuts off, but then because he's not challenging it, it just leaves again. The van springs back to life. They all pile into the van and they get out of there. Yep. And uh, so uh, they've uh, they've escaped the the creator, creature and uh, it's like, well, maybe we'll just uh, abandon the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the ranch there and uh, end a movie, right? Yeah, they've escaped. <laughs> end of the That's movie. Good. <laughs> yeah, just like the end of the birds. They just drive off, having resolved nothing. <laughs> so they're all traumatized. The news is playing a story of all the missing people from Jupiter's claim. No one wants to talk, except OJ, because he cannot read a room. Um, mm-hmm. He's got the thing figured out now, because it's just an animal. And like all animals, it has rules. And you just need to understand that and work around it mm-hmm. jupe tried to tame it but you can't tame a wild animal so it's not gonna end well uh m's phone rings then and it's holtz who's decided that he's interested probably now that there's all this news coverage of weird stuff happening like oh yeah <laughs> you know there's uh, obviously something unusual perhaps supernatural going on and it seems to be right at the place where that lady was calling me for the other day maybe i'm interested maybe now. i should follow nope. up on that free job <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> OJM and Angel meet Holtz at the ranch. He's brought two hand-cranked film cameras, so no electronics. Genius. Nice. And now, the plan. M grabs all the tube men from down the road, which, from reading the transcripts of this, I have just now learned are called sky dancers. Yes. Yeah. I had no reason to know that. It's wacky-waving inflatable arm man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's my entire cultural context for ever hearing the name of these things is the one Family Guy <laughs> the episode. the Family Guy sketch. <laughs> yeah. uh, Angel grabs all the car batteries from Jupiter's Claim parking lot because those people aren't using their cars anymore. <laughs> uh, and OJ gets lucky trained up. <laughs> then we go over the rules. The saucer, which OJ names Jean Jacket in honor of uh, M's old horse, won't attack you if you're not looking in the eye. No eye contact. It's also territorial. Jupe was feeding it, so it thinks this is its territory. It's definitely going to come back. And the fake horse messed up its insides, so it's not going to forget that or those flags that were attached to the thing for a bit. So, those might be uh, useful uh, props uh, if we need to, you know, keep it from eating us right away. Uh, Holt sets up on a hill overlooking the valley. They have an entire grid of tube men laid out, and... uh, you know, it's how you keep track of something that shuts down electronics. Mm-hmm. OJ saddles up um, because, you know, Lucky doesn't use electronics. It's a horse. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool planning montage here, too. The planning mm-hmm. montage with all the little yes. Monopoly pieces. Chef's kiss. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. And I wish that I could, like, describe a montage better. <laughs> I just can't. So How does one describe a montage? Yeah. Cool planning montage. 
to be the thimble. <laughs> so just as they're ready to put their plan into action, an electronic motorcycle drives up. And a man with a very chrome helmet arrives with multiple <laughs> cameras. It's TMZ. And he won't he will not go away. <laughs> uh the man decides oh. that if they don't want to be interviewed, he's just going to ride off straight towards their grid of tube men, which are starting to shut down. So, you know, what happens when an electric motorcycle hits an anti-electric field? <laughs> well, uh, basically all parts of your mechanism are uh, seizing up now, so uh, it might stop quickly. Yep. So the man flies off his now inactive motorcycle and definitely breaks something. Yeah. Everything. I think he breaks a few things. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is also one of the best. They're looking. It's like, he's dead, right? And I was like, ow. <laughs> he starts screaming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he will be soon. <laughs> OJ does try to rescue him, but the man is completely insistent on getting his camera and will not move until Jean Jacket is right overhead and it's too late. Mm-hmm. So OJ's like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I can't remember which of the Paul brothers it was. I think it was Jake Paul. One of them really hated this movie. Um, <laughs> like the whole thing just went completely over his head. And there was like it, there was like a whole tweet thread and he specifically complained about this character at one point being so stupid. And a whole bunch of the subtweets were like, bitch, that's you. <laughs> that guy yeah. is you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No wonder you hated this movie. <laughs> You're <Yes>. in it. <laughs> so OJ starts to ride away from Jean Jacket uh, slowly at first, but then he pulls the hood up on his sweatshirt and he's put fake eyes on the back of it. So mm-hmm. Jean Jacket starts chasing the horse. Uh, Holtz is filming the entire time. Uh, when Jean Jacket gets really close, OJ unhooks a bag on the back of the horse, which lets out a bunch of plastic flag streamers, and Jean Jacket immediately <laughs> veers away, not wanting to mess with that again. Nope, I don't want that. This entire time while Holtz is filming, did you get, like, sympathetic arm pains? Mm-hmm. I was watching feeling very tired for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of how they did uh, old-style cameras back yeah. in the day, but, uh, you they know. They were yoked. <laughs> Cameramen were yoked. <laughs> so uh jean jacket now scared by the flags veers off banks in a very spectacular manner at the perfect angle for holtz to get the shot and flies back off into the hills leaving oj and everyone in safety yay S- success so they got it end yeah, of the movie success they did w- they did it they did it <laughs> we can all yeah, go home ex- now everything's okay now. except uh holtz Mentions something about how the light's going to be magic in a minute. And he grabs his handheld camera <laughs> and hikes up the hill and points it toward the cloud that never moves. Uh, Jean Jacket approaches very slowly. Holtz keeps rolling as he gets uh, sucked up into the vortex. Well, uh, I guess our cinematographer's done. Yeah. Uh, Angel gets knocked down by a tarp and thrown down the hill into a barbed wire fence. He does have the bright idea to tie the fence around himself and use the tarp to not be, you know, ripped in half by the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, M is inside, so she's watching out, out the porch, but then the roof of the house flies off and she's also sent flying. Well, it seems that uh, there's nowhere safe in the valley mm-hmm. now. Everything's Whoops. going kind of bad. That, it did not look yeah. fun for either of them either. It mm. looked very painful. <laughs> Angel's still tied down, so he doesn't get pulled away, but that probably hurt a lot. M is stunned. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying desperately not to look Jean Jack in the eye. OJ mounts back up and tells M to get to the bike. 
behind them all, Jean Jacket starts to unfurl. Beautiful character design. Oh my mm-hmm. god. Some of the best yes. I've ever yeah. seen. This creature expands, going from the relatively compact saucer shape to a large, flowing, organic collection of sails. It's it's massive. It like stretches all across the valley, and you know has this very you know, organic, but also very mathematical mm-hmm. sort of nature yeah. to it. Yeah, I read a thing of it being sort of inspired by like a collection of sea creatures, jellyfish, and other things that have to move Ooh. around in the water with sailing equipment jellyfish squids that kind of thing and it really does look like something that could just sail around on air currents absolutely it's like it's so beautiful and terrifying as well like it's you don't get creature design like that it's so good nope <laughs> uh here another inspiration uh, uh for its design uh was also uh neogenesis evangelion oh, yeah i remember i haven't uh. seen enough of that to get it but yes <laughs> Uh, the uh, the angels, the uh, main big bads of the series there, uh, have some unique designs, and this is kind of hearkening back to some of them in terms of the unnatural geometry. OJ stares Jean Jacket down, which also reveals its sort of central eye stock eating apparatus, something or other, which just happens to be in the shape of a TV screen you know, mm-hmm. for reasons. A lens? <laughs> yep. For, I'm <laughs> sure it's about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just don't think about it <laughs> so uh oj draws jean jacket away until the bike is able to start again and m rides off jean jacket drawn by the movement chases her down the road so m rides up to jupiter's claim and unhooks the inflatable cowboy balloon she grabs a handful of tokens that are scattered all around the ground and gets ready to crank up the well camera well, cameras come back. Yeah, a good bit of planting and payoff there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You weren't thinking about that thing at all. Yeah, you you didn't think that was going to come back. Chekhov's well. <laughs> Chekhov's well. <laughs> the jean jacket sizes up the inflatable cowboy, you know, chasing it and staring it down. The cowboy <laughs> is staring straight at it. Unblinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a challenge to my... Dominance. Well, I guess it's winking. <laughs> yeah, oh, it is that, winking and that pointing. Had to, that had to make Jean Jacket real mad. <laughs> Who are you winking at, <laughs> motherfucker? M takes a couple of pictures, but Jean Jacket's surrounded by cloud, so all she gets is inflatable cowboy. Um, she sets up for a third try. Jean Jacket pounces on the cowboy. She gets the shot just as Jean Jacket lunges forward out of the clouds grabs the cowboy, constricts it back inside itself as it goes into saucer shape again, and then the thing pops, and it's shredded into delicate sail bits all over the place. It's amazing. Yep. And M is amazing in that moment, too. She's like, he's going to fuck you up. He's going to fuck you up. And you're just waiting for it. (laughs) Just waiting. (laughs) Then uh, behind M, the news arrives trying in vain to describe the aftermath of the scene. I don't know if either of you are watching with subtitles on. You can't really hear the news people in the background with the subtitles. It's all mm-hmm. like, I can't really describe. There's still like pieces of something floating around back here. Oh. No, I didn't watch it with subtitles. <laughs> yeah, the news is just completely in vain. It's like, I can't really tell you what's happening because <laughs> we got here too late. Uh it's something, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Floating plastic bag shreds? 
<laughs> and then at the foggy gate that says out yonder, we see OJ and Lucky silhouetted against the sky in classic cowboy pose. Nice. <laughs> the end. Yay! Oof. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I think the uh, holy crap, this movie is awesome mm. uh, statement uh, you know, can be repeated at yeah, this point. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like such a romp. Um, again, you can just watch it as like just a straight up like summer blockbuster alien film. Or you can watch it as the the many metaphors that people have watched it as and that it is intended to be. And, and either way, yeah. you're having a great time. Definitely lots of metaphor going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, should we start at the obvious ones? Or <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the most obvious one um, is like the, the Hollywood filmmaking metaphor running mm-hmm. through, running through the entire thing. Um, I, I mean, it, it literally starts with that image of that classic um, uh, jockey on a, horse thing um and we've got like uh holst is the uh the artist who gets consumed by his own need to pursue the art the child actor traumatized from hollywood Mm -hmm. like uh, this uh, very like the entire thing is very like all of the characters are focused on their primary objective is to film it and to document the creature not to like beat it or even kill it they they do end up killing it because they Mm -hmm. have to um but that's that's not their goal right like yeah you don't have the standard horror movie thing of how do we stop it how do we escape from it it's how do we get a picture of it? How do we capture it? Yeah. Indeed. Because, you know, they've you know, established as a wild animal, but there's another way to capture it. Yeah. Hmm. Film. Capturing the wild animal. And, and, and yeah, the, the animal's gullet is a camera lens, like is mm-hmm. a television. Like <laughs> It's like being consumed by your own art. <laughs> yeah. I, as far as, you know, fairly obvious metaphors go the like hollywood apparatus stand in in the movie is very literally chewing people up and spitting them out yes <laughs> leaving wreckage behind and uh just kind of dropping it wherever and they keep they keep mentioning like a word that comes up a lot that i didn't read verbatim over and over again is spectacle this movie yeah. is like obsessed with mentioning spectacle and our obsession with spectacle and how we're just keeping to find and focus on these things as a um like the i was reading this this interesting take a couple days ago that started with the the very opening of the movie is that gordy's home scene where for thankful reasons most of it is obscured by a couch You, you never see the like actual gory aftermath of the thing yeah but you know that everyone watching the movie kind of wants to. Mm, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like we're going to keep this behind uh, the, this uh, partition here, but you know, you, you want this, you need it, you, you demand it, but we're not going to let you have it. Yeah. Like the, the point that I was reading that I agree with is like, realistically, this is horrifying. You really shouldn't want more of this, but you, 
desperately want to know what happened. You see the end of the thing and so you're like, please tell me more. Where's the rest of it? Show me yeah. the show me the entire sequence so I know what happened. And you know, the first <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw this, I walked away from the theater feeling like I I was like, oh man, we didn't really get to see much of Steven Yoon's character. I wish we could have watched an entire you know, miniseries about his character. And the second time I felt much less that way. And I, I feel like it was because they 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 did kind of appeal to like a very like morbid kind of gross um, part of me that like wants to see um, that spectacle and that, the, uh, see more of the darkness of that character. He's a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he's mm-hmm. he's been so warped by the entertainment industry. Again, like he has that whole monologue where he doesn't tell about his experience. He tells about the SNL sketch about his personal experience. The distillation. Because um, per- perhaps because uh, he's actually incredibly traumatized and doesn't want to actually talk about it. But also perhaps because to those of us working in the industry, that's what matters. The, your yeah. your trauma is only as good as the content you can create from it. Yeah, he's milking it as a brand. He even says when he introduces his like secret room there, he's like, well, I normally charge people to see this. 50 grand a night. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, just to sleep in here. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally okay with exploiting my trauma for, uh, you know, a cheap buck here. But uh I'm going to let you in on it uh, all the same here because I like yeah. you. Doing you a favor now. Well, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting thing to look at with his character on the exploitation. Because one of the other themes of the movie is, of course, like spectacle, but also the way that spectacle dehumanizes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the exploitation that's inherent in that. Because him as a Asian-American child actor in the 90s on that sitcom you kind of can read the thing as um, his character is no more a complete person than the chimp is. Like an, an Asian-American kid with a white family on a 90s sitcom is the joke. It is the spectacle. It's just as much of a novelty as a chimpanzee living with a white family in a 90s sitcom. His char- yeah. yeah we're going- <laughs> his entire character was we're that gonna subvert expectations, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the two of them interacting is like the entire show. It's, yeah, that's it. So the fact that he's now he is now using his trauma to make money, and I see like you know your trauma is as good as you can sell it. But in some ways, at least he's the one getting to profit from it this time. Yeah, he has control. Still, you know, super dark, but an improvement? Question mark. A coping mechanism. He has control of his own, (laughs) of his, uh, he has control of his own trauma, both control of the memory of this traumatic event, but also control of the way he was exploited and put in danger by a system. Mm -hmm. System that cared nothing for him. It's not good. Like, I'm certainly not trying to argue that this is a good outcome. But no. of all of the bad outcomes, it gets him killed. <laughs> it also like his what so, he yeah. takes away from that traumatic incident, like directly leads mm. to his own death. Because again, like he he has taken from it that he he was chosen and and he believes that he's mm. uh, chosen and has this connection to wild animals that m- makes him 
falsely believe that he's co- got a connection to Jean Jacket that he doesn't have. Mm. And that oh, gets and him I just, killed. I just realized too, yep. like it's not <laughs> it's not explicit, but um that kind of character with this sort of like janky roadside attraction thing. Um, I didn't actually watch the thing, so I feel bad bringing this up as a point of reference, but I think the one that most people would have heard of now would be that Tiger King uh, mm, thing on Netflix. Yeah. There are all kinds of these little things that call themselves animal sh- sanctuaries where they... <laughs> that are... Uh, yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. far from. Yeah. They're deeply exploitative. They're unsafe. And several of these like real-life chimp attack incidents have sprung from things like this. Someone who's trying to keep a chimpanzee as a pet because they think they have a special bond with it and people who run these little animal sanctuaries for chimps. So like, there was a story on NPR a while back about a place that like was doing this and the chimps got out and started rampaging around and being and like chasing down cars and things and they had to shoot several of them because you you just can't, do that with wild animals and it's yeah. always these little roadside mm-hmm. attractiony sort of places with someone who thinks they have a special bond and can communicate with animals better than anyone else in the world and you can't you can't control wild animals which is another theme in this film mm-hmm. uh, the uh, domestication of the dog in uh, human history uh, you know literally took thousands of Tens years of you know it's not something you could just turn yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not something you just you know I am going to, you know, overcome all these difficulties and, you know, uh, you know, genetic breeding and all that sort of stuff going on here in order to basically turn a wild animal into a domesticated entity. No, I'm just going to do it off, you know, just because I'm me. That doesn't work that way, no. (laughs) And this movie, like, very clearly asks, like, should you as well, Uh, even with animals that are domesticated, because it's got the whole incident with the horse at the beginning. Um, and mm-hmm. this movie uses yes. live horses. Um, horses are domesticated animals. Again, they've been domesticated over a period of tens of thousands of years. But right at the beginning, this movie kind of sets out, um, you know, the premise, like, should should we even be exploiting domesticated animals in this way? Like, should we, should we be using them um, in for our, our spectacle and our, our entertainment? I think the... The fact that it's a horse training family in there is very important for the overall metaphor because it shows OJ actually understanding and caring about the animals. Like the entire end sequence, it even through the movie, like he, after the scare, he just, after the scare at the commercial, he realizes that he had not trained his horse well enough for the situation, which is why he makes the props to show it at home. And then mm-hmm. the entire, his entire part of the training montage is like Lucky. throwing cans and flags and stuff around Lucky to train him to be able to put up with those things. So it's really more of a, it's showing him understanding that all of this is more a matter of understanding and preparation, which yes. you can do with a domesticated animal. But it's not that with a wild animal like Jean Jacket or like the chimps who yeah. are no amount mm-hmm. of training is going to make it okay. But also the entire reason that the commercial thing failed is because the director didn't respect the fact that he was working with an actual animal that isn't controllable, like yeah. a computer prop. Yeah. I think that aside from the, like, they have the obvious things with the animals. One of the things that I really, really love that 
happens in this movie and and to greater or lesser degrees all of his all of uh feels other movies is this just amazing and masterful subversion of horror tropes especially ones that apply to african-american actors in horror movies yeah it's like even the name of the movie the name of the movie gets gets dropped so many times throughout the film and it's that joke it's the like the black character in a horror movie is going to just nope out of there and not engage with the thing and and run but in every single situation where they do that it was the right decision for them to have done that and it's what lets them live through the movie yes (laughs) you know uh, it's like well you know know, some of the tropes are like the you know the black character uh dies first and uh not in this case uh well Well, one of them other than their dad i guess yeah crap hmm i'll rethink that one (laughs) Well, the first on-screen possible death we see is the little white girl. So there is that. Hmm. True. So second then. Hmm. But uh, also, I guess someone died off screen for, for certain uh, in order to get all that change in keys and things like that uh, up in the air so high. But uh, yeah, we don't actually see that one. Sort of taking uh, you know, the approach of, well, you know, a lot of the uh, tropes in a lot of horror movies is to sort of, I guess become a, an idiot to a certain degree and just sort of wander around in the woods with the ax murder behind you sort of uh, idea there. And they're like, this is kind of our home for starters. And, uh, you know, we kind of like have things we need to do in order to like survive beyond, you know, just avoiding the thing eating us. We kind of have to work with the situation, but when it's time to run, we're going to run. Yeah. Well, the, it's an interesting point with the, not running that they have to do because i think this is one of the only movies i've ever seen that incorporates a horror thing that acknowledges that escaping isn't enough it's not even that they wouldn't want to but you can all recognize Mm -hmm. that if you just run away from the horror thingy and then leave with your entire farm and whatever destroyed you're kind of screwed yeah Mm mm-hmm their whole plan is we can get a we can exploit this thing we can exploit this horrible situation we're in become rich and famous yeah they again they're not trying to stop jean jacket uh until until m has to basically and even then it's it's really more in service of capturing the spectacle indeed um which like the at the very very beginning um there's a there's a quote that says, I will cast abominable filth at you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. Mm-hmm. That's an Old Testament quote, I believe, yes? The, the subject of, of much speculation. <laughs> well, I was reading an interesting, uh, it's an article on, on Insider about the you know, true history of the, of the clip that they are referencing in the movie. Okay. And it has a very interesting yeah. point at the end that um things like this things like the film and and early horse photographs and and sports photographs um were an interesting double double-edged sword because it showed where african americans were getting non-working class employment like this was a place where african american people in the US could do something that wasn't just a crummy a crummy work with your hands carrying boxes all day job they could be jockeys they could do certain sports and that was a place Mm -hmm. where they could also live a slightly more what we would think of as a middle class lifestyle but 
the more exposure that they got, the more just overt racism started falling down on them until um, at, at a certain point, horse racing started getting more popular and a lot of the black jockeys were were pushed out with very racist arguments. There's quotes in here I'm not going to read. Um, and it's kind of, it's a through line of the movie because they are saying like, our great, great, great grandfather was one of the first people ever put on film and nobody even remembers his name. We are scraping by as horse trainers when in any other situation you would be Hollywood royalty. Yes. You know, everyone else got to uh, enjoy the uh, the endless uh, generations of nepotism, but, uh, you know, they didn't. Hmm. So I think the thing of, like, the being made into a spectacle, like, your, your white actors aren't often a spectacle until they are, and then it's hor- horrible. This is your whole modern getting canceled thing. But just you as a minority doing a thing is spectacular. You can't just be another actor or horse rider or whatever. You are, you know, the first whoever to do the thing. So it's there's a certain amount of spectacle inherent in that that is dehumanizing to the actual person. So I think that it's kind of probably at least partially a reference to the way that we are using spectacle to distance ourselves from everything we're distancing ourselves from animals to the point where we don't recognize that they're dangerous animals we're distancing ourselves from people so that we can't interact with or understand them on a human level and we can do these horrible things Mm -hmm. and we put it all through our modern film stuff and put it on snl and make it all okay i'm not sure how to follow up on that (laughs) I mean, we, we, this show, we, we cover old sci-fi and, and other things. We always get to racism eventually. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I mean, that is, that is something that is inherent to uh, Jordan Peele's entire body of work. Um, it's that this is a thing and, you know, it causes problems. I feel like I, as, a, as a white woman, I probably don't have a lot of room to comment on this, but I do feel like there's probably, um, there's probably not not nothing about the fact that so much of this deals with like surveillance culture and like CCTV and documenting things like um, mm. a- and has like two black leads, you know, people who are most often the victims of surveillance culture. But again, I, 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 I'm sure somebody with a little bit more experience in that uh, <laughs> in that realm can probably speak to that more. But I'm sure there's there's not nothing to be said about that i can't comment on it as a person of color because i am also a very white person (laughs) but i can comment on it as an lgbt person because we are seeing some modern parallels where the more visibility we've gotten the more popular culture visibility and and news visibility and other things the more backlash you start getting it's a very common cycle Mm -hmm. And it's the double-edged sword of being seen. Before, no one knew you were there. Like, if they did, it was a problem. But you could mostly go do your own thing under the radar and not have to worry as much about the big entities noticing you. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that was good. That was, that was really horrible. And you having to keep things secret and not being able to be public, all that stuff yeah. was horrible. But the more you get noticed the more the bigger fish are going to start trying to push down on you. Mm-hmm. Not having control over your own visibility. 
And then you have the double-edged thing with it because the more visible you are, the whole um, coming out to your friends and family theory that was popularized a while back, um, that, that was a completely different era. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time commenting on that. It's a slight aside, but like that was a good idea. It's show, show everyone you're normal, show people that they know someone that this actually affects. But that also gained the big visibility and backlash of all the people who didn't want to know you were around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, got to, you know, situations where, you know, coming out to a family, it's like, oh, you, you're always going to still be so-and-so to me. And I guess I will have to sort of process this and come to terms with that. And then there was the folks that had families that are maybe not so accepting as well. And then, you know, and I know that this, like, well, there's just some work. surveillance parallels between these things mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you get noticed they had police officers trying to catch you out for being gay in a bathroom, etc. Um, it's obviously not a direct parallel because while, of course, there were people of color who could pass into as white society and could keep things hidden, it's not always an option in the same way that it is for a lot of LGBT people. Um, mm-hmm. so it's just parallels. I'm not trying to draw a completely direct comparison, but this is a part of the thing where I can comment a little more yeah. than the other places. Of course. And, and with, with things like, like this particular piece of media with Nope, nothing is straight allegory either. Like I, I, I really don't think it's trying to yes. be a straight up <laughs> allegory for any one thing, even, even mm-hmm. like the most common, um, metaphor that people read in it which is like the filmmaking um, metaphor. Like, I, I really don't think it's supposed to be an allegory for any one thing. And I think you can read, I, I think this is what makes it so brilliant is you can watch it with like a different kind of critical lens <laughs> each time and like have, have like a different um, experience watching it. Oh, it's fairly easy to uh, sort of like, hmm, maybe, uh, yeah, all right. So trying to exploit Jean Jacket here and then it chews them up and spits them out. Ah, the obviously the the creature is uh you know capitalism, mm-hmm. right? Mm. <laughs> I think this is one of the places this this movie is a good thing to look at this this mix of things that I I don't think is being done particularly well in a lot of media, but everyone talks about you know the very basic critical analysis of you have the text of the thing and you have the subtext of the thing and you have the metaphor of the thing. And all of those can kind of be seen and read differently. Um, in certain pieces of media like this, the text and the subtext are agreeing with each other so much that in a lot of places they're saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that lets you analyze mm-hmm. it in some interesting ways. Because the, the actual text of the movie has racism in it. There are people being racist towards them yeah. in the text of the movie. Yeah, And of course, subtextually you can read a lot of racism metaphor into the way that the people and animals and are being exploited in the whole film industry thing overall. But because you have the one as metaphor, you can read a lot of other stuff into it at the same time, which makes it more interesting and complicated than just showing a bunch of racism on screen. Thank yeah. you. This is all you know, connected to a lot of other things. So it is, you know, there, there are the problems, but there is also the problems linked to the problems and they're kind of, maybe working together in a not so good way. I do think the capitalist argument is an interesting one to look at for this because we always get to capitalism also. We, we do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, well, it was like, you know, you know, 
it's like, like literally it's like, all right, so we think this thing is out there. It's benign and it's going to do wondrous things. And, you know, we just have to, you know, occasionally feed it a horse maybe. Oh, it's eating us instead. We're going to sell tickets to it. Like, mm. <laughs> I, think yes. I think it is interesting how, it's interesting how critical you can be of the fame motivation that they seem to have because it's something that the movie seems to be being critical of. Yeah. Several characters mm-hmm. in the movie mention it. Like uh, Holt says, you know, you, if you want to climb Fame Mountain, it's a dangerous path. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, like, what are their other options here? They have this thing that's happening. Their ranch is failing. They're having to sell off horses to keep yeah. afloat. If you're if you're a horse trainer and you sell all your horses, you kind of are out of luck here. Like this yeah. thing has this thing has happened to them. That's not good. But if you can exploit it for money. Like, I mean, what else are you going to do? I think it's like, it's not a, it's not an accident that they, they called like their money shot, the Oprah shot as well of like, mm-hmm. cause I, I don't mm-hmm. immediately think of like Oprah when I think of like somebody got some alien footage, like that's not the first place you go, but <laughs> yeah. for them it immediately, because you've got like two black actors is like, you got two black characters as your lead characters. You're immediately thinking of like the statistical, like, um, improbability of Oprah's story like and and that's what they're immediately clinging to is like we we can we can get our Oprah moment and mm-hmm. uh and succeed in this st- statistically impossible way the way she has and and win at capitalism mm. and, and also become a billionaire yeah well speaking from a completely outside perspective obviously but like fame is one of these big things that we, especially in America, think of as a way to even everything out. Mm-hmm. You can always catapult yourself out of poverty or a bad situation by becoming famous. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people of color who have that narrative put on them. Like you you grew up very, very poor, but were really, really good at basketball. Yeah. So now you're famous and have all the money or... You know, you grew up in the projects, but became the most famous rapper in Amer- in the U.S. Like mm-hmm. all these things is like you went from nothing and then did something that got you a lot of fame and attention. And now all of a sudden you're a millionaire. Yeah, it's the I win button. And, you know, if you just do these things, you'll uh, manage to be successful. And everyone has this opportunity. And never mind that, you know, it's very unlikely that any one yeah. person well, will uh, it- yeah, Not like everyone does have the opportunity and that's uh, in specific communities like, yeah, hitting that like statistically Im- almost impossible like mm-hmm. um, jackpot is the only way to climb your way out of poverty. And so the, the, the dream yeah. persists mm-hmm. so because it's seen as the only yeah. way. Well, we love that that narrative so much. We just we never talk about surrounding influences on people like um i'm reminded of like billy eilish got held up as this like look at this teenager who suddenly made it massive in the music industry and is all famous now out of nowhere writing songs in her bedroom with her brother both of her parents are industry people yeah yep <laughs> so you know uh maybe they had a little uh step she up had a there. very um, typical pop star story like <laughs> <laughs> whereas like again like for for a lot of rappers for uh, and for a lot of like like oprah is one of those like statistically impossible like came from like a, a poor community 
is a black woman has like all of the odds stacked against her um, and now is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the ways that we hold up to, you know, define America as a classless society. Yeah, when it very much is not. Yeah. If only we could get a picture of a UFO, then we wouldn't be on the brink of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just need to hit it big. That's all we need. We just need to exploit the right animal, and then everything will be okay. And then, well, you also have the ending where they bring in Holtz because you need your white dude. Mm-hmm. And they got it. They laid they out their it. plan. They pulled it off masterfully. They prepared everything. They got exactly what they needed. They are set. Mm-hmm. He is the one who's actually in it for <laughs> fame and glory and self-aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. Like, they would have been happy. They would have left. They would have gotten on Oprah. They would have had it made. Like, he needed to get his impossible shot. And yeah. not only did it get him yeah. killed, <laughs> it put everybody else in massive danger. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, who knows if they'll be able to recover that film that they did mm-hmm. get. So. <laughs> Probably well, yeah. Like he got he got consumed by his own <laughs> desire to mm-hmm. to achieve the perfect. That moment also reminded me a bit. Of, there have been, I think, more than one instance, but one in particular that I'm thinking of of like people who've grabbed their cameras in the last like few moments before like an avalanche or mm-hmm. volcano, um, pyroclastic flow hits, and we've mm-hmm. we've gotten their pictures. <laughs> like people who've been like, yeah. I'm I'm gonna get this one. <laughs> I'm forgetting the name. There was def there was someone who was trapped when Is this the bear? No. Well there was the bear too. Oh. <laughs> but there was a uh, there was someone who was trapped in the wrong place when when Mount St. Helens erupted. Yes. And he he knew he could see the thing coming and he full on knew there was no way to get out of there. And he right. took a bunch of pictures. And we have those pictures. Yeah. So not quite the same because this is a guy running towards the pyroclastic flow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there it like yes. I think there is. Um, I don't know. There's something. There was probably something in Holst about like trying to go out in a blaze of glory and and leave something behind bigger than himself. But that something got destroyed in his own um, mm-hmm. in his own like egomaniacal um, attempt. Well, if you notice too, like his whole editing sequence that we mentioned, the tiger fighting the python. Yeah. Um, in the background of one of the last scenes that you see that, the python has won. Ooh. <laughs> so he's the tiger. <laughs> yeah, you have this. He's well, the tiger you have king. This, the stalking predator, which you could think of the hiding cameraman running out of the bushes to get the shot. And you have the hunting constrictor patient predator. Which is very much Jean Jack here. Stricter, yeah. It Choking grabs you. Out. you and, yeah. <laughs> I think it's very, like, um, th- again, little things that you, like, I don't even think I noticed the first time. I think it's, like, interesting that, like, uh, Jupe's name for Jean Jacket is the viewers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very on the nose. <laughs> yeah. I, but I didn't even. Yes, it is the consumer. He says it only once, so I don't even. <laughs> I caught it the first time. Like I, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, the consumer. Yeah, <laughs> the people who are viewing this program. <laughs> you. That means you, listener. <laughs> you, you filthy, filthy animals. Well, it shows the way that he's also thinking about his own. He thinks he's the spectacle. Yeah. They're here to watch him. 
Mm-hmm. He's the chosen one. And how he interacts with He's the special. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, speaking of uh, ranchers and uh, minorities and things like that, there has been something in the news recently uh, about exactly that. Wait, about, about ranches? Uh, a ranch and uh, a, a black owner and, uh, you know, having trouble with some of the locals. It's uh, fairly recent news. Uh, there's been a uh, an arrest involved. But uh, to start the story uh, real quick is that there was a hurricane. So he moved his uh, family over to Colorado and uh, I think it's El Paso Co- County. And, uh, you know, it's all right. So we're going to ranch over here and continue sort of, you know, this sort of tradition. And pretty soon, suddenly he's being harassed by his neighbors and people coming to his property, killing his animals, trespassing at various uh, points, blocking the way, you know, in and out of their place. Uh, all sorts of nasty, annoying and cruel stuff going on. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I want like restraining orders on these folks, calling the police, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, uh, just the other day, there was an arrest of the guy being ar- uh, harassed. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. But, you know, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that kind of like, this is a little eerie that, it, you know, watch the movie with, you know, with some weird parallels to a real life event going on, uh, you know, just the same week yeah. here uh, that, you know, it's like, yeah, we are living here now, you know, the, you know maybe this isn't the uh, same in terms of like a historical uh, uh, sort of a s- establishment, but, you know, it's sort of a, and suddenly the environment gets very hostile and all the bad stuff seems to be coming, you know, down on the folks that are just trying to make it, you know, mm-hmm. make a living here. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of, I guess, a, uh, you know, so, sometimes with the older works, we you know, sort of draw parallels like, yeah, and, you know, some of this crap that they're talking about, you know, back in the 60s or whatever, you know, there's some stuff that's, you know, very similar still going on today. And uh, fortunately, this is sort of a... Uh, a little bit of a weird parallel with this is a fairly recent movie and yeah, this is actually kind of a parallel in what's going on yeah. contemporarily. But uh, yeah, apparently uh, the, the, the owner of the farm, uh, the ranch there, uh, you know, was arrested for stalking apparently, despite, you know, all his neighbors stalking him. Good God. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and so, you know, the, uh, the neighbors at very like just the other day, like got a uh, restraining order against him. And suddenly, you know, the uh, local police are like, oh, yes, we're going to arrest you for, you know, violating this thing. So a uh, little bit of modern day unfairness once again striking. And you know, there's still a lot to come out, I suppose, about all that's going on there and things to evolve because we're really at the beginning of the story in terms of more public awareness of what's going on there. But it's still sort of a let's maybe like try to build a world where you know, the, 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 some of the messages in, in films like this are not quite as, you know, relevant anymore because, dang, I'm tired of this crap. Only the names change. Yeah. Yes. The details stay the same. Mm-hmm. I think there's an interesting like, well, point in there because I was, I was talking this movie over before we started recording and um, there's an implication. Well, they keep calling the thing an alien and it's obviously modeled like a flying saucer. There's every implication that this thing is fully terrestrial. Yeah. That it's just an animal that exists yeah. <laughs> and has done for however long, most of history. And I think that kind of to your point, they it's out here in the middle of nowhere, California, where there aren't a ton of white people hanging around. 
And mm-hmm. every time it does attack someone, we get a news clip of it being explained away as just one of those freak things that happens out in the middle of nowhere yep. to the people we don't really care about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't worry about it. Meanwhile, a kitten's up in yeah. a tree. So, you know, the uh, and uh, even when there's a very obvious, oh, there's also, you know, white people being eaten by this thing here, you know, sort of incident. It's very much like, we just don't know what's going on here. And, uh, you know, we're not going to do much more to look into it. Because, you know, the main uh, victims are, you know, those other folks, you know. Well, it seems yeah. like the news doesn't really seem to care until... It is like a, a bunch of white people and a famous actor who disappear. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because things are happening before yeah, yeah. that. Like people's True. livestock are being are disappearing. Like things are things are happening. I, I'm forgetting what this is from. There was something that I saw recently. But the general gist of it was the fact that you die is not news. How you die mm-hmm. is news. Yes. Yeah. And very uh I guess the uh, the how of how you die in this particular situation uh, is so bizarre that, you know, we're finally going to pay attention to it, but uh, we're still going to be kind of lazy beyond that. Well, you know, it also has to be interesting enough. <laughs> to be news. Yeah, you have to go out in an interesting enough mm-hmm. way that it's newsworthy, that it's still news. Mm-hmm. So uh, how's everyone here going to go out that's beginning to be newsworthy? <laughs> Well, clearly I'm going to get eaten by a camera lens, by a giant camera lens. Yeah. <laughs> that is the fate of all actors. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, uh, I, I suspect I'll uh, drown uh, under some raining blood. Um, I don't think Slayer will be playing at the time, but we never know. <laughs> Iconic horror moment, Gubbin. raining blood, by the way. Iconic <laughs> horror moment. Mm-hmm. It just reminded me of like a... There was a website my friend showed me recently called like how how newsworthy am I? And you can enter your demographic information and it it tells you how many news stories would be written about you if you disappeared. <laughs> huh. I think I got like like 15 or something in That's local actually papers. Kind of impressive. Yeah, <laughs> well like it it maxes out at like uh, at like 500 I think. <laughs> Now I'm tempted to look this yeah, up myself. I, <laughs> I don't want to make this too much of a just an aside, but for anyone who w- I sent you to a link to this, so like if for anyone who wants to look at the thing I was talking about, it's called arepressworthy.com. Ah, so anybody who that. wants to look that up later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, is there any uh, other big things we should uh, tackle at this point? No, just go watch Nope. And if you've already watched yes. Nope, watch it again. Yeah. Nope. Definitely watch it again because yeah. I definitely saw things the second time that I didn't think I would. Yeah. So it's it's one hundred percent a multiple mm-hmm. watch movie. Also, yes. I'm sorry when I was looking up stuff. How does this thing have mixed reviews? <laughs> because Wait, you mixed know, reviews? as I said earlier. <laughs> yes, I'm finding mixed reviews. <laughs> Yeah, there's going to be a folks that listen to the guy that, you know, is in the movie and dies, and uh, they're going to be like, well, I'm going to just parrot his opinion, I guess. <laughs> of course, I will say, I sound some that are at least mildly veiled racism, so those shouldn't count. But a lot of pe- se- several people were saying that M's character is annoying, and no, she is no, the she best, isn't. and we love her. I stand yeah, her so fantastic. hard. Shut up. <laughs> she is the black lesbian representation we need in the world. Yeah. We got side hustles going on here all, all <laughs> up and down. Yeah, that's just so millennial right there, honestly. 
It's like, yeah, I, I, I feel I feel that pain. I feel like the people who find her annoying are just like the kind of people who don't want to listen to women talk. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I want to find these people and like make them listen know to who someone they are talk. so I could just <laughs> tie them yeah, to a chair. and uh, cut them out of everyone's life forever. I'll uh, I'll send them to a shadow dimension. There we go. I don't know how I'll do that yet, but, you know, I could dream. <laughs> All right. As much as I would like to make you listen to all of us talk about this all day, we've reached the limits of our thing and we don't want to make you sit around for another hour. So <laughs> it's probably time for the thing that we do called the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. I'm uh, Dr. Izix, and uh, we got lots of contestants here, and I got our, our normal judges, and lots of people racking up uh, various points here, and well, some of them have gone missing, but you know, whatever, we'll roll with it. Ho-ho! <laughs> our first prize to hand out is the Destruction of Self pri uh, prize, which goes to Antler's Holst for deciding that to get that perfect shot, he's got to get him, let himself get eaten, and you know... To kind of, you know, stop being alive. Uh, what does he win, Gepwin? He wins some mustard, because it's amazing what mustard will help you get down. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Now, uh, maybe a jean jacket uh, could have uh, used some of that on the, uh, the metal horse, too. <laughs> no, that probably would have still gotten stuck. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, our second prize is the uh, uh, Space Monkey Fears. Which goes to Angel for being, hell yeah, let's investigate the aliens because the usual X-Files like conspiracy theory nonsense. What do they win, Hoots? Hmm, I'm going to say Angel wins the entire DVD collection of X-Files. It's a bit on the nose, but I feel like he'd appreciate hmm. it. Hmm, indeed. He'll be able to uh, watch those uh, for at length now because uh, he managed to survive the end of the movie. After apparently some rewrites, too. <laughs> Our uh, third prize is the Everybody's Dead Dave prize, which goes to Ricky Jupe Park and everyone at his uh, Friday live show because, well, it's maybe not so live anymore. Uh, what do they win, Gapwin? Jupe wins seatbelts. It would have solved his entire <laughs> situation, and it would have been a heck of a show. <laughs> <laughs> heck of a show, though, uh, you know, maybe not so much for him uh, because, you know, it's kind of hard to set up a seatbelt in the middle of the, uh, the arena, but maybe a harness, perhaps. So. Hmm. Our uh, fourth prize is the Millennial Job Outlook Prize, which goes to Emerald here, as she's found herself trying to seek her dreams while being unprepared for the, uh, you know, them, you know, and, the, and all our changing economy and all that, uh, or the works that she was expected to handle instead because, you know, they decided to, uh, you know, not let her train that one horse. Um, anyway, uh, what does she win, Notes? M wins some health care because, uh, you know, She's probably going to need a little bit of uh, therapy after her experiences, but also because uh, healthcare mm -hmm. is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> Indeed. In fact, uh, I'd say it's maybe worth more <laughs> at this point. So that's more, you know, just kind of the, how expensive it's getting. Hmm. Our uh, next prize is the Menacing Geometry Prize, which goes to the entity, a.k.a. Jean Jacket, because it seems it really likes being shapes and stuff, uh, and also to menace people. Hmm. But uh, what does Jean Jacket win, Gepwin? Hi. This is going to take some explaining, because I have no idea what these things are called. When I, had, when I was <laughs> a kid, I had a little fiddly toy that's a cube that's made up of all these triangles that are connected together at the edges. And you can unfold the cube and put it into all kinds of weird, interesting shapes. And figuring out how it connects together into different shapes is just amazingly 
strange fundamental experience that I had as a child. And it reminds me so much of the design of Jean Jacket and I want it to have it. And I want people to remember what this thing is and please tell me what, what it's called because I completely never knew it was just a thing that had to, to be in my house when I was growing up. Hmm. So yes, uh, if anyone can uh, comment below, uh, Gepwin can uh, you know be uh, enlightened as well as we can get uh, Jean Jacket this little prize here. Very nice, very nice. Our uh, final prize is the uh, Real Western Hero Prize, which goes to OJ for saving his sister by being a distraction while riding a horse like a badass. What does he win, Hoots? So OJ wins an option on and points on the back end for a uh, television miniseries developed from the podcast Black Cowboys. Have you guys heard of that podcast? Hmm. No, but now I need to look it up. (laughs) I think I've heard the name, but yeah. Uh, It's a history podcast. Uh, Roughly a third of all uh, historical cowboys in in the U.S. were were black men. Uh, Mm -hmm. Much Mm -hmm. like, which you wouldn't expect because our Westerns are are very, very white. Um, But most of them were were black or indigenous, uh, like indigenous Mexican men. Um, and there's a whole podcast that's just a- dedicated to telling the stories of the black cowboys that needs to be turned into a miniseries. And uh, as our real Western hero and as our, you know, film industry hero, uh, I think OJ should get to have like an executive producer credit and some points on the back end of that and, you know, get to save his farm with uh, his very lucrative television show. I'd endorse yeah, that. I would watch the hell heck yes. out of that. I would watch it. So it needs to be developed into something. Mm-hmm. For uh, those unaware, uh, you know, during the uh, Civil War, uh, you know, a lot of uh, ranches like in Texas and such were like, well, uh, all the uh, guys that are fighting in the war have left. Um, hey, uh, you know, the, uh, the slaves here, uh, you, you're going to like do all their jobs now. And after the war, they're like, well, we're free and could do these jobs. Um, Want to hire us back? And they're like, uh, I guess because we don't have anyone who wants to do this stuff yeah. now. Hmm. So yeah, and so that was sort of the uh, uh, you know a start of the uh, early cowboy fa- farmhand sort of thing, and uh, and then well, it just kept going for a while, and then later Hollywood uh, whitewashed yeah. everything. Great. Even pre even pre Civil War, hmm. there were because like the West was not like incorporated into the United States yet. So like if you were if you managed mm-hmm. to escape as a slave. And find work out west. Very often, you'd be like a, a cattle hand. Uh, so uh, there, a lot of them were also exactly. like escaped slaves when slavery was still like before this um, the emancipation. Um, dope stories, uh, way more interesting than whatever bullshit we got in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> we we need better Western movies. Agreed. So. That's our uh, various prizes this time. Uh, is there anything else, or shall we uh, get taken away, uh, perhaps in a giant funnel of, of torrent I would of like wind. to get sucked up like um, a big plastic horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We don't do vor. Like, this is not a vor podcast. <laughs> I think it is now, because we did just watch, like, <laughs> the vor movie. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't even get into the porn aspect. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) That's a whole other podcast. And with that, I'm going to say thank you all for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Okay. 
Poots, thank you so much for being here. This has been very much fun. Uh, remind the people where they can mm -hmm. find you, where we should all follow you, watch your cool things, etc. for people who zoned out somewhere in the last two hours. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Um, you can find me on YouTube at Hoots on the Web. Um, and you can find me uh, on the podcast Respect the Dead uh, every week. Where uh, actual respecting the dead is apparently optional. Yes, the the <laughs> podcast where we we, we don't. Um, and I guess if you want my if, yes. if you want my <laughs> socials, uh, I'm on Twitter at punished hoots. I'm rebuilding my Twitter because I got personally uh, perma banned by Elon Musk. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that douchebag. I'm on uh, Instagram at hoots on the web. Groo groovy. And uh, I'll also give my thanks. Uh, it's been wonderful having you on. Um, so uh, I guess we can now get to talk about what we're going to be doing uh, for the next episode. Yes, next week we are launching into season two of Star Trek The Next Generation. With the, It is baffling to me that this is the first episode of a season. <laughs> is The Child, which is one of the Star Trek Immaculate Conception episodes. And I cannot believe that I have to say one of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Hoots, are you familiar with this particular episode? I am not. I, I did I did watch a little bit of Next Gen because um, it was on like basically when I got off after school every every day um, back when I was in high school. But I don't think mm -hmm. I've ever sat down and like watched like a season of mm -hmm. it full on. So I, I might have seen parts of that episode. I, I might not have. Now, this is the episode where right. our main female character, Counselor Troy gets immaculately concepted by an alien and instead of being completely horrified by the situation which i think would be a pretty normal reaction she immediately goes no this is my baby and no one can touch him <laughs> yeah <laughs> never mind that you you know did not consent to any of this this is now i guess your thing um, those okay. pregnancy hormones are wild especially when it's an alien yeah it's <laughs> alien pregnancy yes, hormones uh, and also there's like a deadly disease or something like that and uh, you know don't want that to. Yeah, kill there's everybody, always some so. sort of B plot happening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so next week we're back by our lonesomes, and I'm gonna have to figure out how I talk about immaculate conception, and hopefully not make fun of Christians too much. <laughs> well, you know, there's other religions that you know have that sort of thing going on sometimes. So you know, it can you know be a bit multiple faith, uh, you know, uh, uh, fallout here. I think yeah, right. Every religion essentially. So uh, uh, consider yourself lucky who it's not to be involved in, the in all that. immaculate conception <laughs> conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we just got to talk about uh, a camera lens eating us, consuming us. Spaceship Vore. Yes. Spaceship Vore. <laughs> Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Picard's fear of children becomes manifest. have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. 
you may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash drisix, and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>